Boker Tov, we continue with the Mishnayot of the Einbein series, and today we will see one Mishnah with a long discussion about it, including a very interesting and uh, somewhat well-known story dating back to the 3rd century BCE. Einbein Sfarim L'Tfilin U'Mezuzot, Elo Shasfarim Nechtavin B'chol Ashon U'Tfilin U'Mezuzot, Eina Nechtavot Ela Yashurit. So the only difference between Sfarim, which means books of Tanakh written on a cloth, and Tfilin Mezuzot is that Tfilin Mezuzot have to be written in Ketav Ashurit, that's the block letters that we think of as uh, Biblical Hebrew. Uh, and Sfarim can be written in any language, and the implication here seems to be in any language and in any script. Rashim Gamliel puts a writer on, and he says, even in Sfarim, it's not that they can be written in any language, they can only be written in Greek, besides Ashurit. Now, does that mean the Greek language? Does that mean the Greek alphabet? Does that mean both? A little unclear, but the implication here seems to be that they could be written in Greek language, written in Greek script, and that would be mutar. Tfilinum zuzot are not. So essentially we have a dispute between Tanakam and Shem Gamliel about the expanse of uh, allowance for writing uh, Sfarim, but Tfilinum zuzot, everyone agrees, must be written in Ashurit. So the immediate uh, implication, as we've been drawing all the way through, is that for other significant matters they are alike. Ha l'tofran begidin. So the fact that they need to be stitched together with sinews. Well, the tamayatay adayim, we talked about tumat adayim a couple of days ago in the context of kedushat kitvei kodesh. Zevez shavin. So tefillin are tamayatay adayim and kitvei kodesh are tamayatay adayim equally. Good. Now here's the nut. Is it really true that sfarim can be written in any in any language? Rini, we have a challenge to that. A bright that says mikra shiktavot targum v'targum shiktavot mikra, which means that if you took the biblical language and you wrote it into a, a translation, or you took something that was written in the Tanakh in a non-Hebrew language targum and you re- translated it into Hebrew, uchtav uh, or if you used Paleo Hebrew as a ta- as a script, einu matam which means of course it does not have kedusha ad shiktavenu uchtav ashurit ala sefer uvidyo. Until it's written properly on a on a uh, parchment with proper ink in Ktav Ashurit. Now, how do we how do we uh, reconcile this statement with the rulings in our Mishnah? So we have five answers. Amarava. Answer number one: Lokasha kan begufan shalanu kan begufan shalahen or begufan shalahen. In other words, the word gofan, which in modern Hebrew is used to mean font, means script. So in other words, according to Rava. Our Mishnah allows us to write in another language as long as it's written in a Hebrew script. And that Brita is referring to using a different kind of script. So Amarli Abai, Abai says that doesn't answer the Brita. But Mayu Kimta Lahahi, the Gufan Shalahem, so he's saying that Brita is talking about using a foreign script. So So why does the Brita pick a case where you're translating? Even if you wrote the word, exactly the same word, the way it was, but you used a different script, it should be in, uh, invalid according to you. Because the end of the Brita said it has to be written in Ashurit. So that means that that Brita must be referring to a case where the fellow was writing in Ashurit and just translated some of the words, which means you see that Sfarim cannot be written in translation. 
Ella, answer number two, lo kasha, harabanan, harashim gamliel. That the bright is authored by Rabban Shimon Gamliel, who says that you cannot write Sfarim in any language. But that won't work because even Shimon Gamliel, ha'ika ivanit. After all, he does allow Greek. And we'll see the reason why at the end of the sugya. He does allow Greek, so it can't be Rabban Gamliel, because the Brighta says it can only be done by Ashurit. Ella, third answer, lo kasha, kan bisfarim, kan bitfilin mezuzot. That the Mishnah is talking about Sfarim, and this Bright is referring to Tfilin Mizuzot, which the Mishnah, uh, acceded can, must be written in Ashurit. So Tfilin Mizuzot, my time, huh? Why is it that Tfilin Mizuzot have to be written in the, in the language that they are? In Tfilin Mizuzot, you have the Parsha of Shema, which has, we have the first Pasuk on the page, Vahayu Advarim Ha'ele, these words shall be, meaning, Vahavayatonyoho, they should be the way they are, in other words, without translation. Now, if that's that's fine, but if that's the case, then the Breitah, remember, which according to this last answer is dealing only with Tefillinim Zuzot, it says that if you wrote Targum into Mikra, it's invalid. My Targum Ika. There are no words in any of the Parshiot and Tefillinim Zuzot that have a word that is in Targum that you could possibly translate into Mikra. Bishlamat Torah, I understand if you're talking about an entire Sefer Torah, Ikar Yigar Sahaduta. The famous two-word phrase where Lavan uh, refers to the rock of testimony as Yegor Sahaduta, which is simply Aramaic for Gal Aid, which is what Yaakov calls it, playing on the words Gilad, which is the mountain where it's happening. Uh, so I, if we're talking about a Sefer Torah, I understand that there's Targum that you could possibly translate. There is no Targum in Tefillin Mizuzot that the Bibraita would have to address. So answer number three doesn't work. Our Brita cannot be talking about uh, foreign script. Our Brita cannot be referring to, uh, cannot be Rishim Gamliel's opinion. Our Brita cannot be referring to Tefillin Mizuzot. Ella lo kasha, kan Megillah, kan misfarim. That the Brita is referring to Megillah, Megillah Tester. Megillah, my time, why must Megillah be written only in Ashuri? That the letters that Mordechai and Esther wrote, sent out, went to everybody in their language, to the Jews in their script. Since it has to be written in the Jewish script. So my Targum So if that's the case, that means you have to find, as per the questions we asked on the last answer, Targum in the Megillah, meaning non-Hebrew words in the Megillah, the truth is that's very, very easy to find. So we have two, two examples here. The truth is there are dozens. The word Pitgam is a Farsi word that comes into Hebrew through through uh, several of the Bayit Sheni books. And Pitgam means the motto or the saying. Yitzhak here claims that the word Yikar is a uh, non-Hebrew word, and uh, meaning honor. It's a little bit difficult considering Tehillim Kufirchet, Yakar Bene Adonai Mavtala Chasidav, sorry, Tehillim Kuftet Zayin, that, uh, that uh, the death of his loyal, his loyal ones is very grievous or precious in the eyes of Hashem. Seems to be a Hebrew word, but okay. Uh, so, so we do have words that are targum in the Megillah that you could ostensibly be translating them so that the Brighton says that if you translated it, it would not be valid. So we do accept the possibility of this last answer that the Brighton is referring to the Megillah. Ravashi Amari gives another answer. Kitanya hi bishar sfarim. Aha, the Brighton is referring to the rest of Tanakh. Rabbi Yehuda hi. It's Rabbi Yehuda as follows, meaning, that the Brita is referring to non-Chumash Sfarim in Tanakh. Yoshua, Shmuel, etc., Yoshayahu. In that case, that's written by Shurit. And this is based on Rabbi Yehuda. 
The Tanit Tfilin Mitzvot in Nichtavo in Nichtavin El Ashurit, like our Mishnah, Tfilin Mitzvot must be written in Ashurit. For Rabotenu Itiru Yivanit, Rabotenu allowed us to write Tfilin in Yivanit. That you can't have. Hakteva Hayu. After all, it says Vayu Advarim Ha'ela. The words have to be the way they are. So rather fix it that way. It's not talking about tefillin mezuzot. It's talking about other svarim. Other svarim can be written in any language. And Rabotenu allowed Greek. Well, that the phrasing is odd to say everything's mutar. And Rabotenu allowed Greek is a little bit of a non sequitur. Itiru asar. I mean, it sounds like the previous authority for bad. And you just said he allowed everything. So read it this way. Sfarim are written in any language, and Rabotenu, who we, apply, we identify as the opinion of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel in our Mishnah, allowed only Yivanit. Ve'vetanya, Amar of Yehuda, Avchi, Tiru, Rabotenu, Vanit, even when our rabbis allowed Yivanit, that's the opinion of Rishvag, Le'itiru, Elba, Sefer Torah, Umishum Ma'ased, Talmai HaMelech, which we're about to read, because of the famous story of uh, Talmai Philadelphus, uh, the second, um, and because of that, there's a special dispensation to write a Sefer Torah in Greek. But the rest of Tanakh cannot be. And therefore, our Brita is referring to other books in Tanakh. And there you have lots of Targum that you could translate into Mikra and vice versa. It has to be written in Ashurit. And now, what's the famous story of Talmai HaMelech? So a little bit of a background is that Talmai, who was the, the Talmaians, were the uh, Hellenistic kings of um, who ruled from Egypt. And for the most part, when Jews lived under the Talmudian leadership, they had a lot better time than, for instance, when Eretz Yisrael was under Seleucid uh, diktat, which uh, uh, reign, which led to the terrible persecutions, which ultimately led to the Hasmonean rebellion. Uh, but under Talmai Philadelphus uh, II, who died in the year 247 BCE, uh, he became very intrigued by the Torah of the Jews, and he asked that the uh, Jews send representatives to come and to translate the Torah for him into Greek. And now we'll hear the Gemara's telling of the story. And the most famous version of the story is in the famous letter to Aristeas, the Tanya. He got 72 elders together. Uh, the name of the book that was produced, by the way, is called the Septuaginta, or the Septuagint, which means the 70. In Hebrew, it's known as Targum HaShivim, and it's abbreviated as LXX, 70. And it is the earliest translation of Tanakh into any language. By the way, the rest of Tanakh, of Tanakh the Torah, the Talmud commissioned the Torah to be translated, the rest of Tanakh was then translated on behalf of the Alexandrian Jewish community that did not know Hebrew and needed their own translation. But this story deals only with the translation of the Chumash. He got 72 elders together. He put them in 72 different rooms. He didn't tell them why. He didn't want them to work together at all. He went into each one separately and said, Write me the Torah of Moshe, your teacher, meaning in Greek. And the idea was, he didn't want them to get together and all agree, let's change this one thing because the king won't like it. And that way, he's going to get a straight translation. He'll see exactly what it says. Uh, so inspired each one of them with the same inspiration. They all came to the same conclusion. And there's ten um, uh, modifications or emendations that they made in order to take the sting out of certain things or to 
take away an appearance of polytheism, etc. And the ten things are mentioned here. I listed the original psukim, the way they re- are reading the Torah on the page. Elohim bara breshit, so that they shouldn't say, the question is, they shouldn't say that breshit is the name of a God who created Elohim. The problem, of course, with all of these is that once you translate it into Greek, the sentence order changes in any case. So Elohim bara breshit, breshit bara Elohim, it's a little bit difficult to understand what they would have written differently. And Archein is how the Septuagint starts, in the beginning, and Archein at the beginning. So it's unclear how it would have uh, started in any case. But as opposed to let us make man in our image, I will make man in an image, uh, which obviates, uh, which eludes the problem of anthropomorphism and of polytheism. Uh, Instead of saying God rested on the seventh day, but uh, finished on the seventh day, which God is able to do for the exact second, but God finished on the sixth day and rested on the seventh day. He created him, male and female, instead of the confusing Baram. When God is going to punish the uh, the people at the tower, he doesn't say, let us go down and confuse their language, but I will go down and confuse their language. Not that Sarah laughed, Bikirba, which is the way um, um, the, the, the way that the text reads, but rather um, uh, be, that Sarah laughed bikroveha, uh, meaning about her uh, relatives, meaning about her and her and her husband. This is uh, Yaakov's curse of Shimon and Levi, as opposed to Ritzonam ikru shor. But rather, um, instead of so instead of that, uh, the saying that they killed a person, uh, they, they killed a, a shore. Not as bad. Instead of Moshe having his wife ride on a donkey, it says she rode on the people mover, as it were. This passage in the end of Parakut Bed of Shmot is a very troubling passage because it leads to the whole problem of Bnei Yisrael, the, the amount of years that they're in Mitzrayim. So they, they fix it by saying the amount of years of Bnei Yisrael were in Egypt and in other places. Thus the 400 years or the 430 years uh, then become more manageable. Instead of saying that Moshe sent the lads to bring the korbanot and Allah which is a little bit more of an honoring honor, honorable term. In uh, when Moshe pleads his case to Bnei Israel to Hashem and says, I have not taken anything from them, instead of Lo it says Lo I haven't taken one valuable thing from them. And in Dvarim, when it says, Be careful not to bow down to the heavens, the text actually says that Hashem divided for all the nations. And it makes it sound like Hashem said the other nations can worship them, but not you. Here, the way they fixed it, Hashem divided for the other nations to have light. And, um, and it, when we hear that somebody goes and does Avarazar, that he goes and worship a place, a Shalot Siviti, makes it sound like, uh, worshiping is not so bad, I just didn't command it. No, I, should, I did not command to worship them. Instead of saying the rabbit, they, in among the animals that are not uh, kosher, they, they called the one with the short legs. 
Because evidently that was her name. Question is, was that her name in Hebrew? Was that meaning her name sounded like Arnevet? Or was her name whatever that word is in Greek? And they didn't want to write it. Unclear. Um, so that he shouldn't say, oh, the Jews are laughing at me. And they put uh, my wife's name in their Torah. Good. In any case, that is the uh, the story of Talmai. And as I mentioned, the story of Talmai affects only the translation of the Chumash. The rest of the Nevi'im and Ketuvim were translated by the Alexandrian community. They commissioned the translation, and that is the Septuagint that we have today. Remember that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel allowed for Greek, only Greek, as a translation, as a uh, for, as a version of the Torah. First of all, the halacha is like that. What's his reasoning? After the flood, when Noah is molested or whatever happens with his son, his grandson, and he curses Canaan and makes him an Eved, he blesses shame, and then he blesses Yefet, and he says, which really means God should spread Yefet out. He should reside in the tents of shame. But the understanding here is, Meaning, some of Yefet's beauty, some of Yefet's cultural contributions should play a role in the tense of shame. Yefet is understood as Rome and Greece, and shame is, of course, us. So, therefore, Yefet's great, beautiful language of Greek has a place in our tense. So, maybe it refers also to terrible things they're going to do and, and, uh, and brutal things that uh, the Romans and Greeks are going to do. That's why it says meaning not just any part of their cultural contribution, but the beautiful part of the contribution, and everybody agrees that the Greek language is an elegant and beautiful language. Good. The next Mishnah again compares to that are alike, and it's important to note that in the times of Bait Rishon, when a Kohen became Kohen Gadol, he was anointed to that position. The Shemar HaMishcha was lost, and therefore in Bayit Sheni times, a Kohen Gadol was marked by simply being the one who wore the eight garments. Was there any difference in the status between a Kohen Gadol who was anointed and one who was not anointed? Ein ben Kohen Mashuach v'Shemar HaMishcha, an anointed Kohen, l'murubeb gadim, and one who merely has the eight garments, ala par ba'al kol ha-mitzvot. There is a special par uh, that a Kohen um, a Kohen Mashiach, a Kohen who is anointed, meaning the Kohen Gadol, has to bring if he violates one of the commandments. Special Korban Vayikra Dalit. And, and otherwise, and that is one that's not brought by someone who merely has the eight garments, but who has to have been anointed. Otherwise, for every other purpose they're alike, for the Avodah Yom Kippur, and for the uh, Korban uh, that's brought every day by the Kohen Gadol, half in the morning, half in the afternoon, the Mincha, etc., now, this is something we studied in Yoma. If a, a Kohen Gadol has an understudy, who in case the Kohen Gadol becomes incapacitated, the understudy takes over. After that happens, the Kohen Gadol comes back. The Kohen Gadol comes back is called the Kohen Meshamesh, the active Kohen. The Kohen Shavar is the understudy who was Kohen Gadol for Yom Kippur and now has been pushed back. The only difference between them is Elapar Yoma Kippurim Taifat is that the understudy Kohen is still 100% Kohen, he can't marry an Amana, etc. The only thing is that he does not bring the daily offering of the half uh, Asiri Taifa in the morning, half in the afternoon, 
and he does not bring the par of Yom HaKippurim. Now, but in the Reisha, when we talked about the difference between a, an anointed and an unanointed Kohen Godol, they are equal for the purposes of Par Yom HaKippurim and Asiri Taifa. The ones that are in the Sefer, they weren't alike. So, that means that the first part of a Mishnah does not accord with Reb Meir. The Yireb Meir Hatanya, we have a Brighter that says, Mubeb Gadim Mevi Par Baal Kol HaMitzvot. Reb Meir, Meir said, that a Kohen Gadol, who has not been anointed, but simply is the one who wears the eight garments, brings the special korban of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, the special chatat if he violates one of the mitzvot. So Chachamim, which is our Mishnah, say that he does not bring it. Now my time in Rameir, why does Rameir say he does? Titania Mashiach. If you take a look at the Pasuk, uh, which is Pasuk number, uh, 20. All I know from here is that he's the one who was anointed. How do I know even one who's only wearing the extra garments? That's why it says to expand it and essentially include anyone who plays the role of the Mashiach, meaning somebody who merely has the extra clothes. Now, that means that you were saying our Mishnah does not accord with Rameir, because Rameir would say the Kohen HaMashuach and the Kohen Sheinu HaMashuach are equal, 100%. So, so, look at the second half of the Mishnah, which says that a Kohen who is currently active and the Kohen who was active and has been put back to be an understudy, are alike, except for Pariyom HaKippurim HaSiri Taifa. Halachol Divrayin Shavin. So for everything else, they're the like. Atan the Rebbeir, that's exactly Rebbeir's approach. If the coin Gadol became invalidated before Yom Kippur and they put another coin in his place, when the first guy becomes Tahor again, he goes back to his worship. The second guy is a full coin Gadol. Diva Rebbeir, which means Rebbeir holds uh, exactly like our Mishnah, that the second guy is a full coin gadol that certain korbanot he doesn't bring. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rishon Chozer Lavorato, Rabbi Yossi says, the first guy goes back to his avodah, Shini and Uraui, Lola Koin Gadol, Lola Koin Hedyot. Rabbi Yossi says, the second guy is in limbo. He's not a coin gadol at all. He's also not a coin Hedyot. Right? Vi'am Rabbi Yossi, Ma'aseb Rabbi Yosef ben Ulam Mitzipori. Tzipori was Rabbi Yossi's town. So he says, I know this from my town. There was a Rabbi Yosef ben Tzipori. Shirav of Sul, the coin gadol. He himself was the understudy. And the Chachamim, I remember, said, The first guy will go back to be Kohen Gadol, and you are neither. Kohen Gadol, you can't be Mishum Eva, because there's be jealousy. You can't have two Kohenim Dolim. Kohen Hedyot, Mishum Malim HaKodesh, You can't go back and be Kohen, be Kohen Hedyot, because you can only go up in Kedusha and not down. And by going down to be Kohen Ediot and being allowed to marry an Almanah, etc., you're going down in Kedusha. So that means that the first half of our Mishnah is authored by someone who disagrees with Rameyer. And the second half of our Mishnah is authored by Rameyer himself. Or that opinion. Reisha Rabbanan Vesefer Rameyer. So I'm Ravchista Ian, Reisha Rabbanan Vesefer Rameyer. You're right. Our Mishnah is a composite. The first half is not Rameyer. And the second half is, yes, Rameyer. Rav Yosef puts a slightly different spin on it, which is Rav Yosef Amar Rebbe. The, the, the Mishnah is not authored by that generation at all. It's a later generation. It's Rebbe. The Tanoi and Rebbe himself accepted Rameir's opinion in the second half and not in the first half. 
And therefore, he put it together to create a new hybrid, which really represented the halacha as he saw it. In any case, what we have, uh, the basic issue that we dealt with in this sugya was simply the problem of of, uh, of uh, authorship. The last piece, Ein Ben refers to a time when it was permissible to have korbanot brought in any place. Like after the destruction of Shiloh, until Yerushalayim was built for those hundreds of years, a person could put a bama in their backyard and bring a korban. That's called bamat yachid, a private bama. Or there was also a communal bama, like in Nov and Givon and uh, in, in these places. So now, the only difference between a big bama and a small bama is that psachim can only be brought at a big at the communal bama. We will see it doesn't mean psachim means psachim is an example. Zakal, here's the rule. Here's the rule. Anything that can be brought voluntarily can be brought in your backyard. You could bring an ola, a shlamim, right, a toda. You could bring that in your backyard. But something that cannot be brought voluntarily, like a korban chatat or a korban tamid or a pesach, cannot be brought except at the b'magdola. Now the Gemara asks, Sachim, the tulo, is it only korban pesach that can be brought? That, that's the difference that can be brought at a b'magdola, not a b'magtana? Ema kein psachim. It doesn't mean psachim. It means things like a psachim. Mani. So who's the author of our Mishnah? Rabbi Shimoni. The Tanya Rabbi Shimon Omer Aftzibur lo ikrivo lepsachim mechovot shekavu alam zman. Rabbi Shimon, disagreeing with the Chachamim at the end of Zvachim, says that at the Bamagdola, at the communal Bama, the Chachamim said they brought every Korban. And, and, and Rabbi Shimon says, no, they only brought uh, voluntary Psachim and obligations that had a set time. In other words, a Korban Tamid, a Korban of Rugalim, but not, let's say, a Sayur Abal Kol Amitzvot, if Am Yisrael had sinned or something like that, that kind of Korban they did not bring. Rabbi Shimon, therefore, accords with our Mishnah in saying that even at a Bamagdola, all that can be brought is things like Psachim, but not incidental korbanot that are obligatory, meaning that happen based on, a, on an occasion as opposed to something on a schedule or a calendar. So that is the difference between Bamagdola and On Sunday, we're going to continue with a similar theme we're going to take a look at the difference between Shiloh and Yerushalayim, and we will then finish the halachic section of this parak, and then on Monday, Mirz Hashem, begin the very famous Agadah, the Agadat Esther. Everyone should have a wonderful Shabbos.